0: Welcome to the Word of Life study series, Your Heavenly Account. Question, do you know what the balance is in your checking and savings accounts? What about your investment accounts or 401k, RRSP, or TFSA? So what about your heavenly account? If you are a born-again Christian, you have an account in the first bank of heaven. Paul was concerned in that he wanted the accounts of the Philippian Christians to increase and abound. Isn't it interesting that the money and material gifts That Paul received were referred to in the scriptures as a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice that was pleasing to God. It was sweet-smelling money, my brother and sister, not filthy lucre or evil money, but fruit that was pleasing to God. Philippians 4.18 I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied, now that I have received from Epaproditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to god giving dynamics by virtue of creation god created all the gold silver and costly stones and said that it was good money is based on gold and precious metals god told man it was good but it was the devil who had peddled doctrines of demons in deceiving the church into thinking that money is evil that the financial realm is of satan well certainly satan is the small g god of this world system but it was God who originated what is of value in the first place. Genesis 2.10. 10. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onks are also there. Now, notice the King James Version uses the term filthy lucre which is talking about acquiring wealth through ill-gotten means. The NIV translation calls it the love of money, which addresses the greed aspect of materialism or idolatry. Certainly, that is sinful and wrong, but money in and of itself is neutral. It is what we do with it that can be either good or bad. It is like the internet. It has the potential for great good in propagating the gospel or great evil through trafficking sin there is a right and wrong way to get money. Gold is good and greed is bad. God is our source, not mankind. When we look to God to meet our needs through people that he speaks to, that is a good thing. God also gives us the strength, wisdom, and favor to work and keep good jobs and make great incomes. Deuteronomy 8.17 You may say to yourself, My power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. Acquiring wealth is a good thing, provided the motives are right. We honor God first by giving as the Spirit and the Word directs us for His kingdom. We take care of our families and we get to enjoy the rest. It's okay to want to enjoy the blessings of God, as long as that is not the number one reason. But ultimately, wealth is to finance the furtherance of the great commission in the earth. So why should we want a lot of money? So we can give and be a blessing and experience his joy in helping others and seeing folks get saved. Matthew 6.33 Jesus said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The Lord wants to expand our vision and increase our insight in these matters. So often we think so small And so we receive in proportion to the revelation we have in this matter. We may be satisfied and get by with a little. But the greater question is this. Is God satisfied and pleased with us just getting by in life? If he is not, then there is a problem. We have already established that it is his will for all his children to be rich, to have a full supply, and have no room to receive all his blessings. So are we going to obey the will of God in this matter? God needs channels for his provision to flow through. It's not all for us. God has plans, big plans for his kingdom, and it requires money. Imagine all the body of Christ being in positions to give into the Lord's projects. It takes time to develop in the area of finances, so we need to get on it now. There is a danger when Christians hear a verse like Philippians 4.19, thinking they know what it all means. Perhaps we do know some things about it, but not all things, just a part no one has exhausted all the light from scripture if it's old to us then it's not real to us philippians 4:19 and my god will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in christ jesus philippians 4:10 i rejoice greatly in the lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me indeed you have been concerned but you had no opportunity to show it paul was rejoicing the lord over a big offering he had received so it is okay to rejoice when God blesses us in this way. Absolutely. So do you have to be an occupational minister to ever receive a gift from others? No. Some folks get the idea that this is just for preachers. No, this is for all God's children who are operating the principles of giving and receiving. I have noticed in my own life and in scripture that the Lord provides windows of opportunities that need to be acted on because they will only remain open for a season. Most of the time it is not going to be convenient but it's a test of obedience and faith. If we miss that opportunity there's no guarantee that we will get another chance. Likewise with giving into God's kingdom we need to take opportunities when they arise because sometimes windows for giving are only seasonal. Sometimes people need our help right now but later on they won't need it in that way. It's not always going to be convenient when folks need our help. There will be many times when the Lord will prompt us to give and it will not be a good time. Ephesians 5.15 Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The more we learn how to be led by the Holy Spirit, the more certain we will become in his leadings in all areas of the Christian life. This has great application to the subject of giving. If you perceive a prompting to give, don't feel compelled that very second to give. Check with the Lord first to confirm. Now you don't want to wait too long and miss God. But I have found that if it is God today, it will be God tomorrow. So if the confirmation in your heart continues, then give it. That little test of time rules out emotion and impulse. Again, don't wait too long and miss the window. In most cases, we have a day or two to test things out, that God is directing us in a certain direction. Just remember that when the Lord deals with us to give, it is generally not going to be a convenient time to do it. Did you know that he purposely does that? Why? Because it gives us a chance to demonstrate our faith and love that we are not going to put ourselves first and cling onto this or that. We believe there is a lot more where that came from, and we believe that he is able to get it to us. I have made it a practice that whenever a church offering is being taken, To always put something in the offering, even if it's only a dollar. It demonstrates an attitude and willingness to live to give. But we should always look to the Lord whenever an offering is being made or a need is presented to see what He would have us do. Now, there may be times where He will not direct us to do anything at the time, so we should not feel guilty. So there will be times when He says, don't give. We may not know the reason, and that's fine. The key is to always be led by the Holy Spirit. When the Lord directs us to give money that we already have earmarked for some other bill or item, the temptation is first to check if there will be some other means to recoup that money. For instance, we might say, well, I have my house payment coming up in a week or so, but that should not be the prerequisite to our giving. But instinctively, people will say, well, how I make the money up. The issue is not that I can get the money from somewhere else. The issue is whether the Lord is dealing and prompting me to give. What the Lord is looking for is obedience and trust in Him as our source to always make up the difference and a whole lot more. So the question is always, is this the Lord prompting me to give, not where am I going to get the money to pay those other bills. So why don't we give on these occasions? Well, simple. We are not convinced that God can get the money to us in time. It's a simple lack of faith. So in the final analysis, we are led not by the need, but rather by the Holy Spirit. Our giving should not solely be in response to them telling us a sad story, going under or out of business. It is one thing to present a need. It is quite another to use the world's devices of manipulation, guilt, and pressure to squeeze money out of others. Remember, if they are trusting in God to begin with, they would never resort to such tactics. They would simply present the need and look to God to meet it. No pressure or strings attached. Note, in many cases, when large bills come up, what people have is not even half enough of what they need anyway. They are going to have to believe God in the first place. So if God is dealing with us to give, let's trust God with the little we have, our two fish and five loaves of bread, and watch the master multiply it. It's a whole lot easier to believe God when we have seed in the ground and have obeyed him to give. Confidence to expect a harvest. Matthew fourteen fifteen. As evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away, so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. The last thing we want to do is to give out of fear, feeling that we will come under some sort of curse if we don't give. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law according to Galatians 3.13. Now we can give out of love and joy as the Spirit of God leads us. We give first and foremost because we love God and recognize that everything comes from Him in the first place. Second, we want to see His kingdom grow and expand in order for the Great Commission to be fulfilled. Third, we give because we want to be blessed, so we can give even more to God for His glory. We can't outgive God. It's more blessed to give than to receive according to Acts 20.35. We give out of faith and love and obedience to God's word with a pure heart. First Samuel sixteen seven. Another benefit of giving during those windows of opportunity when others are in need is that the folks we give to will remember it. Well, obviously we don't give with that motive only that they owe us anything. Our giving should always be in love and faith with no conditions for repayment. However, look at Second Corinthians nine twelve and notice what the scriptures say. Second Corinthians nine twelve. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men and women will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. As we are led to give in the local church, missionaries, ministries, and other believers and the poor, our account will be credited. If we fail to give as the Lord is prompting us to, we are delaying our prosperity and increase. Philippians 4.14 Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for it may be credited to your account. You know, so many people have good intentions concerning the matter of giving. They tell themselves that when their ship comes in, when they win the lottery, or get their rich uncle inheritance they are finally going to give something into the kingdom of God. So in this case, we're really talking about pride. They won't give until they give a big offering. And they won't do anything until they get to that place. Well, they never will until they start giving something today. Remember, our faith grows only as we act on God's word. So if we're only in a position to give $1 a month to a ministry, we'll start there. In a few months, you can give $10. And then another month after that, $20. $20. Before you know it, you'll be giving a $1,000 offerings or even $10,000 offerings if we just start with $1 a month. That is how the principles of seed time and harvest and sowing and reaping work together. The idea is to start with something small and allow God's principles of increase to multiply it over time into a whole bunch. The big issue is not about how much we have, but being good stewards of what we do have right now. Let's humble ourselves and admit where we are currently at in our faith and in our finances. Let's actively engage in giving as the Spirit of God leads us with the expectation that over time, God will prosper us and we can give more and more. Not only will we be able to give more, but the quality of our life will run in parallel with our giving, so it will increase as well. To have a harvest come in consistently we need to be sowing consistently. It does not have to be big offerings. Ecclesiastes 11.1 1, Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Now Jesus is not saying we can't have a savings account, money market account, or investments, but we do have to watch out that these financial vehicles do not become our source. What Jesus is saying is that there is no safe investments on earth. Matthew 6.19 Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as we give and invest into God's kingdom, our spiritual account will be credited. However, folks will say that we can't touch that until we get to heaven, like a 401k or RRSP being accessed at retirement. Well, certainly there will be wonderful rewards for us to receive when we get to heaven, but we need God's provision while we live here on earth today. We cannot find a better return than to invest into God's kingdom. The only catch is that it takes faith. We're not going to get a monthly statement from heaven showing our account activity and balance. From the natural, some Christians think when they give that money, it's just gone. However, we have faith and we know the truth. It has been credited to our account, our heavenly account. It's not depreciating, losing value, or in danger of suffering a loss. It is unaffected by the world's trends or global economics. Just remember, in dealing with our kingdom account, it takes faith to put it in, and it takes faith to draw it out. But it is real. According to Jesus, who are we laying up treasure for in Matthew 6.20? If it's not for ourselves, is that wrong? Well, not according to Jesus. The Gospels tells us about a rich young man who wanted eternal life and asked Jesus what he should do to inherit it. Interesting that Jesus talked about money. Jesus instructed the man to sell everything he had and give it to the poor and then follow him. Now was Jesus telling the man to give all his money so he would never see it again? In essence, throwing it all away? Was Jesus asking the man to take a vow of poverty? Was Jesus saying, give everything you have to the poor and you won't have anything else for the rest of your life. Jesus is not saying that in order to serve him, you can't have any money. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Yet people have read these things into this passage of scripture. Jesus was providing an investment opportunity that was out of this world. To multiply what he had on earth beyond measure in his heavenly count that he could access while on earth, and then receive the honor of following Jesus. Unfortunately, this young man did not grasp what Jesus was offering him. Jesus was not telling him that he could not have anything to serve him. Jesus was simply telling him, I want you to transfer your wealth to my system, to exchange or convert your worldly goods into kingdom currency. For a number of reasons, the young rich man's faith was in his stuff and needed to be in Jesus as his source. Next, Jesus was telling him that his possessions would be safe in his heavenly account so he could have access to it in order to do all the things he will need to do in following Jesus in the ministry. Mark ten seventeen. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother, teacher he declared all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Realize it or not, but it takes money to do kingdom work in the earth. For all the giving to the poor, sending out missionaries, building churches, that all takes money, lots of it, to do it right. Remember the parable of the Samaritan man who took care of the man who was robbed? It took money to do that. So if God leads us to pay for all the medical bills of someone today in a serious accident who had no insurance, that takes a lot of money. So where is all that money going to come from? Having invested in it? In our kingdom account, we will need to make a withdrawal. Every time we put in an offering, we are making deposits. It gets multiplied and then it's available for future withdrawals. Notice the problem with the rich man was his trust in riches and comforts and the so-called security it would afford him. He could have gotten ill and spent all his money on doctors and never got any better like the woman with the issue of blood. Then where would his money be? So his dependence on money was hindering him from entering into the kingdom because his trust would have to switch from money to Jesus as his source. Now, it's not impossible for rich people to get saved. Jesus just said it was a challenge. Mark 10.24 Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Mark 5.25 And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. First Timothy 6.17 Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now in response to all of this, Peter brought to Jesus' attention that they had left all to follow him. Notice Jesus made the amazing statement that they would receive in this life 100 times as much, not just in heaven, in persecutions for following Jesus, but it's always worth it to serve God. This account we have in heaven is for this life and the life to come. So giving into God's kingdom benefits us today as well as in the future. Unfortunately, many Christian folks have added a verse to this passage that is not there. When Jesus said that we are laying up treasure in heaven, they'll add this little cause to it, and thou cannot touch it until thou art dead. So when we look at the whole context of this passage, Jesus said that we would receive now in this present age, and we are blessed there and blessed here. We are blessed everywhere. Mark ten twenty-eight. Peter said to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Persecutions. You know, not everyone is going to be happy about God prospering you, but rest assured, there will be a grace to overcome it. As we become more blessed to be a blessing, it's a win-win. Blessed now and in all eternity. Let's look again at having the right motive when it comes to handling money. The context of 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 3 was addressing false teachers who were using godliness as a means to financial gain. It is important that we establish this point because when Paul talks about the love of money, it's in the context with ungodly people not to be like them. Money does not make us godly or ungodly, it is the manner in which we use it and acquire it. 1 Timothy 6, five, And constant friction between men and women of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. 2 Corinthians 2.17 Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Christians can be covetous and greedy, and the Bible tells us that we are to avoid them and not to even eat with them. 1 Corinthians 5.11 But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an adulterer or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler, with such a man do not even eat. The Lord wants us to be blessed financially, to have a full supply, and to have nice things in life. He just does not want us to be covetous, materialistic, greedy, and self-centered, like a spoiled child. When we have the biblical perspective that we are to use the things of this world to further God's kingdom in the earth and to enjoy them along the way, we are in line with God's will for our lives, as long as we do not become preoccupied with things and miss God. Remember the old saying goes, you will never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. 1 Timothy six. 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. 1 Corinthians 7.31 Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. What Paul is saying by the Holy Spirit in First Timothy six nine is that our principal goal in life is not to be rich. For the sole purpose of consuming it upon ourselves solely. Our principal goal is to do the will of God first, but it's going to take money to do the will of God. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil in our lives, and we will end up piercing ourselves with many griefs because of it. That is why we're being warned concerning this real and present danger. But on the other hand, God doesn't want us broke and to only barely get by. First Timothy 6 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, men and women of God, flee from all of this, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, and love, endurance, and gentleness. Proverbs twenty-three, four. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Proverbs 28.22 A stingy man is eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. Eternal life encompasses a quality of life, an abundant life, and receiving the very life and nature of God in our spirit. First Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul addressed those who are rich in this world and instructed them not to put their hope in wealth. Prosperity provides us all the same test. Are we going to become engrossed by money and turn from the Lord? Our prosperity is by His grace, so we can establish His covenant, further His kingdom in the earth. Apart from Him, we are nothing and have nothing, but through Christ we can do all things. Did you notice that the great temptation for the rich is to be arrogant and not rely on God? We need to always seek God and put His kingdom first, no matter what we have. 1 Timothy 6.17 Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way... They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Proverbs 13.7 One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Proverbs 38 Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. We are stewards of God's money, ready to give it out of our pocket as the Lord leads, not just ready, but willing to share it and invest in others. In all this, we are investing into our kingdom account. What a wonderful security we have in knowing that all these things we are doing on the earth, like giving, is laying up treasure in heaven for our future use in order to fulfill God's destiny for our lives. We have an account in heaven with our name on it, and we are regularly putting money into that account. The faith element is important when we make deposits. Are we expecting a 30, 60, and 100-fold return? Do we know what is in our account? The resources are there, and our faith makes a demand on it and makes a withdrawal. Local churches have kingdom accounts just as much as individuals do, and it's important to remember it's not limited to the people of the local church. First Timothy 4.8 For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. From a worldly point of view, this does not make much common sense. That's because it requires a revelation of the truth to accept it. 1 Corinthians 2.12 We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, But in words taught by the Holy Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to them, and they cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person makes judgments about all things, but they themselves are not subject to any person's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? Is borrowing okay? Remember, it's not material things that are the problem, but the preoccupation of them. To be more interested in them than we are in the Lord. God does not have a problem with his children being rich, but how we acquire this wealth is what we need to look at next. Well, number one, we can steal it from someone. Number two, we can wish and wait for it, like an inheritance or gambling or like the lottery. Number three, we can work extra jobs and save up for it. Number four, we can borrow and get into debt. And number five, the best way is to sow and believe it in from the Lord. Romans 13 verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. The word honor in the Bible oftentimes is referring to the support we provide to bless people with finances not just to pay them respect. For instance, like honoring our mom and dad, the context of Romans 13 is about giving people what we owe them. So if we have debt, we are to pay it back. It is not saying don't borrow, just be sure to pay what you owe. We live in a society where debt is not regarded as it used to be. People borrowing without the inclination to pay it back, that is serious. The most serious aspect as far as debt is concerned is to protect the integrity of our word and the honor of our name. This is reflected in our credit score. If we promise to pay a loan back and have signed our name, we have given our word. So no matter what, we have to honor it, to believe God and be faithful to keep our word and pay it back. Even when it hurts, we do not think it is fair because we have given our word, so we must honor it. We live in a society that lacks integrity and commitment. If things are not convenient folks file for divorce they file for bankruptcy those actions hurt our faith psalms 15:4 but honors those who fear the lord who keeps his oath even when it hurts in bible times people could be sold into slavery or cast into debtor's prison until the debt is paid for but it would be kind of hard to pay for a debt while in prison because back then to not pay a debt was the same as stealing which was a crime psalms 37:21 the wicked borrow and do not repay but the righteous give generously the jerusalem version says the wicked borrow without meaning to repay matthew 18:25 since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt luke 12:58 as you are going with your adversary to the magistrate try hard to be reconciled to him on the way or he may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. The problem with our society today is not so much the devil, but selfishness. If we are in debt, our job is not our source. God is. If we honor our debts, God will honor our integrity, and when we cooperate with the laws of giving and receiving, we will get out of debt God's way, through the laws of increase. When people file bankruptcy— someone is always left holding the bag and they lose money. Oftentimes, people will rationalize, well, they are just another big greedy corporation. They can just write it off as a business loss and take a tax deduction. Well, that may be true, but such convenient rationalization forgets that most of these banks are publicly held companies. That means that average people have invested in these banks for their retirement and as a consequence are receiving less dividends as a result of people going default on their loans. Bottom line is, people lose when others do not keep their word and honor their commitments. We are so quick to just throw in the towel. The Lord wants us to grow up spiritually, be men and women of integrity and excellence, who keep their word even when it hurts and do right. Sure, it will involve sacrifice, prayer, and seeking God, but training in godliness is worth it for this life and the life to come. Let's overcome and crucify selfishness and become a faithful steward of God's resources. It may seem that our financial system is beyond hope, but there is a God and a way if we trust him and commit ourselves to his plan with a right heart and motive. He just needs faith out of us. Deuteronomy fifteen one: At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel the loan he has made to his fellow Israelite. He shall not require payment from his fellow Israelite or brother because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. It was never God's intention or will for his children to live in a perpetual state of debt all the time. Under the Mosaic law, all debts were to be canceled after seven years. The Lord did not forbid them from ever borrowing, he just did not want them to live under that burden indefinitely. Deuteronomy 15.4 However, there should be no poor among you for in the land the lord your god has given you to possess as your inheritance he will richly bless you if only you will fully obey the lord your god and are careful to follow all these commands i am giving you today for the lord your god will bless you as he promised and you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none you will rule over many nations but none will rule over you notice in verse 4 of deuteronomy chapter 15 it's clearly stated that it's not the lord's will that there be any poor amongst his covenant children. Sure, there are Christians experiencing poverty, but it's not his will, just as it's not his will, that they be sick or oppressed by the devil. God's perfect will is for his children to be rich. The blessing is not to have to borrow or need to borrow, but to be in a financial position to lend or invest. Instead of us paying interest, the world would be paying us interest. It starts with a vision but many believers don't see themselves beyond where they currently are. Jesus in his teachings compared the releasing of debt with the forgiveness of sins. So debt is an obligation and justice demands repayment. Sin is a debt. I owe a debt I could not pay. He took a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. That someone was Jesus. The Father does not want us to be in debt spiritually or naturally. He is not satisfied that we be in a continual cycle of debt. He wants more for our lives. Matthew 18.21 Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured, until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father would treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. The lender is the one on top, and the borrower is the servant to the lender. So does God want us to be slave to the world system? Absolutely not. The word borrow means to inquire, to ask, and to beg. We must not look to the bank and our job as our source. They are important and we use them, but they are not the first place we run to when we need help financially. Proverbs twenty two seven, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Some people pretend to be on a higher level of prosperity than they really are through debt, which is a delusion. That is not prosperity. We have to humble ourselves and admit where we are at and start from there and know by God's grace we can get to the next level. We say everything in our life belongs to the Lord, but let's see the paperwork. It actually belongs to the bank and the credit card companies. No wonder we can't give it away even if the Lord asks us to. Proverbs 13.7 One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The Hebrew word for interest, like credit card interest, means to receive a sting or a bite of an adder or snake. When we look at our mortgage statement and see the interest we are paying, we know what it means to be bitten by interest charges. Paying too much interest can actually delay our prosperity because that money could have been sowed and we could have been receiving a harvest on it today. If we can just bite the bullet and operate where we are at today and resist the temptation of getting into debt as a means of stimulating our prosperity, In time, the harvest of our giving will overtake us and we will live on a new level of increase and be where we were trying to get to through debt. God has a higher level for us to operate on. It's not a sin to use debt, but God wants more for our life. Different levels of faith for prosperity. Let's look at the first one. No faith, where God is not our source and provider, totally depending upon ourselves, just like the world does. Sadly, some are too scared to believe God to make a payment on anything, trusting the Lord to provide. Number two, payment faith. Have you ever noticed when you go to buy a car or house, the salesperson will ask you, What payment can you afford? Even though we will end up paying for that thing twice when it's all said and done. At this level, we have faith in God to provide us with the money to just make the payments on time until the thing is paid off. But there is a higher level of faith than making payments all our life. Sure, we all start at this level, and there's nothing wrong with that. We just want to progress from there. Remember, this is a legitimate level of faith, better than no faith. Number three is pay off faith, which means to believe God not just to pay a thing off, but to pay something off early without going the full term of the loan. We always go into a loan having a vision to pay it off early. Suppose it is a five-year car loan, and we believe that we'll pay it off in just two years instead. To believe God for chunks of extra over and above finances to come in. Not just an extra few dollars here and there, but thousands so we can pay it off early. Number four, there's believe it in. This is God's best for his children. Not just about working harder to earn it, having to borrow any money for it, or just saving and scraping every dime we get. I'm talking about simply believing for it all to come in from God through the biblical method of sowing and reaping finances, but it first starts with having a vision. We have been redeemed from the curse of the law, poverty. We have inherited the blessing of Abraham through Jesus Christ. Notice in Deuteronomy that the blessings of God will come upon us and overtake us. Deuteronomy 28, one. Now it shall come to pass, if ye diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Here is a word of wisdom. As the Lord blesses our storehouse during times of plenty, we need to save some of that money. That is wisdom and not a lack of faith. We don't need to spend everything we get in our hot little hands. Oftentimes the Lord will lead us to save for future projects, Remember when Joseph was warned by God to prepare for famine and to set aside a portion during the years of plenty? This was not a lack of faith. On his part concerning the famine, God directed him what to do, save for it. In life, some events will have an effect on a whole lot of people, like a country's economy, but the Lord will give his children a heads up so they can save and prepare for it. Other events that have a limited effect on our lives, we can change and prevent, But not necessarily when it's a consequence that affects a region, a nation, or the world. We just have to get ready for it. Acts 11.27 During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. 1 Corinthians 16.2 On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come no collections will have to be made. Deuteronomy eight five. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. I have learned that there are some great deals out there during a bad economy. If we just had the liquid assets, we could make off like a bandit well the holy spirit can show us things to come and get us in a great position to receive a wonderful blessing don't feel condemned for those missed opportunities of the past learn from them and just be ready to look for the leading of the holy spirit in the future there are many more great opportunities and even greater blessings awaiting for us in the future the lord wants to bless our storehouse deuteronomy 28:11 the lord will grant you abundant prosperity In the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground. In the land he swore to our forefathers to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season, and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. When Israel was in Egypt, they did not have anything and they owed for everything. They were in slavery, they were absolutely at rock bottom and owed nothing. God brought them out with silver and gold, and they plundered the Egyptians and came out rich. Still, That was not the greatest level of prosperity for them to be at, because they were still in the wilderness after they crossed the Red Sea. However, it was sure better than slavery. To be sure, it was never God's will for them to stay in the wilderness an additional 40 years. God's original plan was for them to just pass through the desert on their way to the promised land. Egypt is a type of being in sin before we were born again. Our exodus out of the world occurred when we received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. When Israel was in the wilderness, their life-sustaining necessities was a day-to-day proposition. They had to believe God from one day until the next, like folks today living from paycheck to paycheck. This was where the majority of the body of Christ is today, making their payments, paying their bills, and in debt, just struggling to get by. This kind of existence, surviving instead of thriving financially, surely there is a higher level. Is there not some kind of promised land for us today to enter into and enjoy a lifestyle of milk and honey like the old covenant saints did? Exodus 3.8 So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hebrews 4.1 Therefore since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Hebrews four six. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in, because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Canaan's land is not living from day to day in the wilderness, It is not payment faith. First, we must keep the word of God before us, in our hearts, and spoken out of our mouths. When we talk about the promised land, we're not talking about working for it. It is a promise by God's grace, given through our faith. We are talking about things we did not work for, earn or deserve, but receive through faith in God's precious promises. God's way, or Canaan's way, is that we have been delivered from a working for a living mentality. Now in Canaan, they still had to take possession of it and fight the giants that were there. We still have to fight the good fight of faith because the devil is not going to stand idly by as we plunder his worldly goods. We work so we have seed to sow and live by the laws of seed time and harvest, the law of increase, enjoying the promises of God and our glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ today. Deuteronomy 6, three: Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be bound upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. "'Tie them as symbols on your hands "'and bind them on your foreheads. "'Write them on the door frames of your houses "'and on your gates. "'When the Lord your God brings you into the land "'he swore to your fathers, "'to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, "'to give you a land with large, "'flourishing cities you did not build, "'houses filled with all kinds of good things "'you did not provide, "'wells you did not dig, "'and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. "'Then when you eat and are satisfied,' Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Proverbs 13.22 A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. God's plan is that we plant financial seed through giving and believe him for a multiplied harvest. We did not save, borrow, or strain for it. This is entering into the rest of God, so we receive through God's plan for increase, He gave it to us, and so it's a blessing. This is the highest level of prosperity, to believe it in. Now remember that we don't start out in this highest form of faith for prosperity. People want to jump a level or two. No, we need to start out with payment faith, and then go on to paid off faith before we get to believe it in faith. It takes time and must become a lifestyle, and not something we just try. How wonderful it becomes in our life, When we want something, we don't look for extra overtime at our job or pull out the credit cards. Instead, we sow financial seed for it and believe God for it. This is the rest of God when we can trust Him to work it out in our lives in the absence of us having to work for it and sweat it out. Sounds too good to be true? It would be if it was not so explicitly stated in the Bible. Proverbs 10.22 The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. If our prosperity relied solely on us being sharp, shrewd, working and saving, we would get the glory or credit for it as a result of our own labor and works. However, if we work and are diligent to give into God's kingdom as seed sown and believe God for the increase, who gets the glory? This latter approach is so much more fun to live our life by God's economy and not the world system. When God does it for us, And it's paid for and completely ours. Praise the Lord. People will say, How did you get that? You must be a hard worker and saved all your pennies. No, God gave it to me, like the children of Israel in the Promised Land. Houses I did not build, vineyards I did not plant, just believed it in. A minister once said, If I can't get it with my faith, I don't want it in my house. We want God to get the glory for the prosperity that we enjoy. This is the highest form of faith for prosperity, and it should be our goal. If we adopt his way of doing things concerning material blessings, we will inherently overcome covetousness which says, get it now, anyhow. I just wanted it, so I got it. But faith says, if you'll just wait, it will be great. Just wait and trust and believe God. To assume that we always have to get into debt to have something is just unbelief or a lack of faith in God. We can have it God's way. But it won't be as quick as we want it, but it will be a blessing instead of a burden or just another distraction in our life. When the Lord adds it to us, it's a blessing because the Lord gave it to us His way. The flesh says, get it now anyhow, but faith says, if I'll just wait, it will be great. Ecclesiastes 2.26 To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. Based on what Ecclesiastes is saying, who is supposed to do the work? Who is supposed to do the toil and scraping and gathering and saving? The sinner. Let them do the work, like the Canaanites. Let them build the cities, the houses, and vineyards. Let them do all the back breaking work so the people of God can enter in and take possession of it from the Lord. One way we know we are getting a revelation of this is through a sense of anticipation, excitement, and joy. Income gained by those exploiting the poor will end up in the hands of those who pity the poor. Proverbs twenty-eight eight, He who increases his wealth by exorbitant interest amasses it for another, who will be kind to the poor. Proverbs 13.22. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Job 27.16. Though he heaps up silver like dust, and clothes like piles of clay. What he lays up the righteous will wear, and the innocent will divide his silver. Here's another translation. The evil man may accumulate money like dust, with closets jammed full of clothing. Yes, he may order them made by his tailor, but the innocent shall wear that clothing and shall divide his silver among them. Do you see the pattern here in the Bible? The Lord is allowing the ungodly who amass all these resources by ill-gotten gains and means to be stored up for His children to receive. The Lord will allow them to toil and work just so it all ends up into our hands. Praise God! Our giving into God's kingdom produces a multiplied 30, 60, 100-fold withdrawal from Satan's kingdom. That is why the devil fights the biblical prosperity message so much, because it will make him broke. It is a form of spiritual warfare, like strategic bombing that raids the kingdom of darkness economically. We have to get delivered from a working for a living mentality and become converted to a working for a giving mentality and get above payment faith and pay off early faith to the blessed God, believe it in faith. We have come out of Egypt or the world by being born again. As we grow spiritually, we do initially pass through the wilderness learning how to believe God in the day-to-day stuff. But where are we to continually abide and make our home for the rest of our life? In the promised land of our inheritance in Jesus today. It is never God's will that we continue to wander in the desert of debt, lack, and poverty because of fear, unbelief, and a lack of faith. Let's embrace the spirit of faith like Joshua and Caleb, that we are well able to take the land of promise, healing, prosperity, and life because the Lord has already given it to us. Numbers 14.6 Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephna, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord." And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Numbers 14.24 But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. God bless. I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life study series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ when God raised Him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.